this whole question of what is it like to be like Jesus. It's what all of us our entire lives are always studying, trying to do. And it's also, it's not the question of how do we imitate Jesus, but how do we let the actual Jesus, the risen Lord, live his life through us. With our uh, little kids in here, the worship service, it's fun, our uh, students sharing. Like the time the mother uh, was making pancakes for her two boys, and she only had one. She goes, who wants the last pancake? And they both went, I do, I do, I do. And she thought, it's a teaching moment. So she said, now, well, you, both you guys want it, but you realize if Jesus, if he were here, he would say to his brother, you take it, I'm fine. And the older boy said, mom, you are so right. Timmy, you be Jesus. I'll take the last pancake. So, <laughs> I met somebody this last summer, a really big, chiseled, buffed guy. I asked what his sport was. He said he's a rose on a crew. I said, you mean the rowing boat? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I, I thought they had little guys on the boat that didn't weigh a lot. He said, actually, no, that you have different bodies for different oars out there. And I said, and who's the most important roar? Because I thought just everybody went really fast and you know, try really hard. He said, no, the coxswain. I said, who's that? He goes, he's the little coach in the boat, the one sitting on the front. I said, wasn't he just telling you to try harder? He said, no, no, no. I didn't realize this. He's deciding who's burning out with lactic acid or not, who should be pulling harder. It's a very coordinated effort or you lose. And as you're oar in the water, what you are doing right now, the coxswain, if you will, the coach in our boat is the Holy Spirit. And your coming together like this right now is so vital for your life if you're gonna win. I mean, you can put your boat in any water and go floating down and it'll go end in disaster. But if you're gonna go against the current, particularly like it is living out here in LA, and you wanna get ahead, we need each other here. Jesus said many things that many people who aren't Christian do, and they do very well. Jesus said, love one another. I know total pagans that are more loving than a lot of Christians. Jesus said, share. If you have two coats, give one to someone else. Our Muslim friends are very much into sharing and caring in that way. Jesus said, helping out others. Our Jewish friends are marvelous in helping out, and our Buddhist and our Hindu, and the total party-hardy pagans in the valley and even on the west side do a lot with what Jesus said. One thing they don't do, this table. This is the table that defines whether you're a Christian or not. We have two sacraments as Presbyterians. If you're Catholic, you get more for your money. You get seven. We've got two. <laughs> and of this is a sign means you belong to Christ. The entry sacrament, baptism, and the renewing covenant. Our Catholic and Orthodox friends would call it Eucharist, Greek meaning giving thanks for what God has done. We call the Lord's Supper the last thing that Jesus did with the disciples. Holy communion, meaning our oneness with each other. But in a moment, you're about to do something that is the most holy thing that you can do. And I believe in that statement, when we come to this table, God wants us to have the three dimensions of this table. This table tells us to remember, to reflect, and to renew. To remember what it cost Christ to save you and me. Dismemberment is when someone is disconnected. My wife, Carolyn, uh, was occupational therapist, and one of the things working with amputees who have their hands severed or their arms, if they ever see their arm, and the, the marvel they can do with microtechnology anymore, one of the tougher things emotionally to do is once you've had your arm off or your hand and laying there and you look at it, 
when you have it reattached, is emotionally to accept it back on. A lot of Christians are running around out there like dismembered fingers and toes all over the place. And this is a time when we come and remember not just mentally, but reconnect. It's a time to reflect how are we connected in the body of Christ and also to renew. This is a renewal time, and there's so much power in that. And when we find out as we share together with the body of Christ and we come to this table, God does something, and this is, I'm Presbyterian here, and I don't say that in public very often, that I really believe this is more than just something we're going through. The Holy Spirit, he is here and sealing in a way that is powerful in our lives, if we let him. Get your Bible. Let's turn over to Paul's first words. First turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, page 933 in your pew Bible. Last week we said in our own private life, we become what we worship. If you worship fame, you literally become not just an attention hog, an attention addict. Your whole life is about having others recognize you. If you worship money, you literally become like a living ATM machine out there just trying to create money in your whole life. If you worship power, but if you worship Christ, we become like him. Corinth, remember, is in on, well, like I said, it very much was a place like Ephesus where Timothy's at where Paul's writing. The temple of Aphrodite is there. There's all these temple priests and prostitutes there. It's a very, if you will, moving city in the southern part of Greece. And 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, because he said, I wrote to you before, and being the scholars you are, you went, oh, this is a devil's letter. It's kind of a laundry list of things. Now do this, don't do that, don't do this. But they're coming together, and think what the Greeks and the Romans, when they went to their temples, you know, a lot didn't go on inside Roman and Greek temples. It was all on the outside, and you communed with God or the rituals. But imagine now that they're followers of Jesus, they're showing up, food and wine is there, so they think they're like at the party for Bacchus. They're getting fed, they're getting drunk. The first Presbyterians, and here in the 11th chapter, look what he says in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. Pause, that word received is lambano in Greek. That means hand received. I don't think Paul talked with Jesus in his spiritual body all the time. I think they were actually fairly rare. He meets him on the Damascus Road. At other times, Jesus appears to him. But this word, he is saying, I got this from Jesus himself. And Paul, being the Jew of Jews, the Passover meal, I think it was so hard for him to step across, because Jesus pours no meaning into it, that Jesus himself has to take Paul and explain to him what he was doing on that first, or that first supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is blank for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Eastern manuscripts in the Greek have broken for you. The Western manuscripts have given for you. That's why you'll hear some pastors at times say, this is my body given for you, because they say Jesus never would have said a broken because not a bone of his was broken. Others say no broken. Either way works. But Jesus takes his bread, he breaks it. It's a matzah, it's a Passover meal. He says, this is my body given for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, would be the third cup of the Seder meal. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We only have about 50 or 52, maybe 53 days of the life of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. It was enough, not a whole lot. Do you know how much of this book is about worship? The details that God gave to the children of Israel in the Tanakh and the Old Testament about this is how you worship me, this is not how you worship me, because worship is so important to God. And because a church isn't a building, you are the church, and because we so think that just Sunday morning is the experience, a lot of Christians today, evangelicals, downplay corporate worship much to our total impoverishment. It's when we come together, and this isn't the whole thing, but when we come together and do what you're about to do, God meets us wherever we're at. Worship, and we saw last week, means price. Praise comes from the word price. Worthship is what it's about. What is valuable to you? And at times, God will meet you at any time. When things are going great, we celebrate together. I love black gospel worship. In fact, I just with Bishop Ulmer talking with him. He wants to get another time together. And I just love throw down gospel music. I mean, it is so great. I mean, you, you just can't sit there. Like I said, we get excited, and what do we say? Indeed. But they're just really enjoying it and, and throwing themselves into it. And, and we're going to be sharing there again with Faithful Central. David got so excited, he danced naked. And we ask you not to do that in here. But uh, <laughs> some of you. But as... as He's so set free. God meets him at that point. Can you celebrate with God? One of the greatest statements of worship came from someone who was devastated, Job. He just lost all of his family. He'd never done anything wrong. And in a statement of worship, worship means what do I value? Through other tears, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a statement of worship when life has torn your heart and lungs out. It's not saying I like what I'm going through, but it's saying even in this, I can put my oar in the water and move towards God because that's all I've got left now. God meets us when we're happy, when things are tough. Why is Abraham and all the patriarchs, wherever they go, they're building an altar to God all over the place? Because in the everyday stuff of life, it can be an act of worship. When we come together and it flows back out there, you and I don't do things differently than the world. It's, we get different meaning out of them. Jesus takes the Passover, pours a whole new meaning into it. He takes you and me and pours a whole new meaning. I mean, we eat food just like they do in the valley. We drive our car on the 405 just like they do. We go to our jobs, go to our classes, sit in the studios. No different except who we are. And God makes that sacramental. He pours new meaning and it's redemptive in that act. And coming here, spending this time, and the word and the sacrament together, the proclamation of the word as well as with this is how the Holy Spirit, he's chosen to do this. But he goes on and says, look at verse 27. Not only is it time to remember, but it's also a time to reflect how we are doing and tying in there. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. This is one of the verses that the Catholic brothers and sisters use for transubstantiation. Examine yourselves only then, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. And here is a strange verse. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. For if we are judged ourselves, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be contemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home. When you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I'll give instruction when I come. Now, what he said, he's turning these things into a Bacchus festival, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You know, you get your In-N-Out burger on the way to church, but when you get here, that you get here, and it's a time of not just feeding your belly, but of your spirit and caring for the people around you. God said through Isaiah, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he told Isaiah, your worship services make me sick to my stomach. The Hebrew is you nauseate me. Why? Because it's fake. You don't love me. You're just going through this thing. Knock it off. As Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. Either serve me or fight me, but don't try to blow me off like I can, I'm some chump in the sky. You come to me and worship me. One of the words for worship is proskalane, kiss forward. Because kiss is a sign of value and you're throwing your love forward. Have you ever kissed somebody and you didn't want to? My grandmother, um, <laughs> Grandma Brewer, I mean, bless her, a tough lady, a Russian uh, Jew, she, uh, she always, when I was leaving, my dad would say, I can remember as a little kid, kiss your grandmother goodbye, and I was going like, no. Uh, she's a nice lady, but she had a full beard, you know, and I was just going like, so I'd kiss her goodbye, you know. Well, she liked it, I really didn't. <laughs> when we come in here, and we just go through the motion, I don't mean that you're feeling intensely in a liver shiver or something, but when we come in here, if our life outside of here is not lining up, God says, knock it off, knock it off. You come here, this is a negotiating table. And that's why very much our Catholic friends believe that this is transubstantiated, becomes the body and blood of Christ. Lutherans, a little step closer, say consubstantiation, that Christ is in the element, nothing happens to it. I don't think these elements change, but I really believe that the virtual presence of Christ is here, sealing in a way that was different than last week, because there is a covenant going on with you. Not magic, something more powerful than that, sacramental. And when we do it, even if we don't feel or experience something at the moment. God is there in sealing his people. And that's where the body of Christ unified today. Hopefully, two and a half billion people are coming around this table, different languages, different styles, different ways of doing it, but still looking to the same Lord until he returns. And the fourth cup, the cup of celebration, the marriage feast of the Lamb begins. I uh, I told you before, I've met with the Archbishop Chaput back in Colorado before, and we used to get together. And he was a, he's a great, brilliant man. I think he's in the Vatican now, but he, he said, let's talk about the things we disagree about, not the things we agree about. I said, all right. I said, well, can I call you Archie? He said, no, you can never call me that. <laughs> but he did uh, tell me the story of the Presbyterian who uh, had a church member uh, who was Catholic, and it just came once in a while, but he went to Mass all the time, all the time, but he got really sick. He called the Presbyterian pastor. The Presbyterian pastor thought, of course, now that he's sick, he wants me. So I went over and he took him by the hand and he said, why did you call me at this hour of need? He said, well, I don't want my priest to get this. <laughs> <laughs> the illness that we all have, 
that we pass along. Some of you will get that tomorrow, but as you're walking along, <laughs> in this life together, coming to this table is a time of reflecting and of renewing. When you meet God, you change. Jacob rips off his brother. He's asleep at a place called Bethel. He will call it the house of God. And he sees this stairway to heaven. He goes, this is the portal to eternity. And Jacob changes after that. Job. Job didn't do anything wrong. That's the whole point of the story. And his friends show up and go, God blesses the good. He curses the bad. Dude, you are a cursed person. What'd you do wrong? And Job goes, I didn't do anything wrong. And he says, I want to talk to God. I want to talk to God. And the whole story, God shows up, and when God shows up, Job goes, no questions. <laughs> Job never really does get an answer, and that bothers me and you. You know what didn't bother? Job, because he was in the presence of the Lord. He knew God knows what I don't know. The disciples were gathered together that first Easter, and Jesus appears in their midst and says, Mashalom cha, shalom, hello, peace, touch me and eat. Thomas wasn't there, they said, we've seen the Lord, and he goes, unless I stick my finger in that mark of the nail in his hand, I'm not gonna believe this craziness. The next week, Sunday night, Jesus shows up, and he says, Thomas, touch it. That's what you need? And he says, my Lord and my God, a good Jewish boy. Saul of Tarsus, we don't know what he thought about Jesus, but he thought Christians were the worst of the worst. He had not only the first martyr Stephen killed his blood at his feet. He was arresting people and throwing in the prison. By the way, you never made it to trial in Rome. Half of the people never did. And he meets the risen Christ and Jesus says what? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? How we treat the church, according to Jesus, not me, is how we treat Christ. That doesn't mean we agree with everything that our Christian brothers and sisters around the world with. How we treat the church. And that's why worship is so important that those of us up front, we're not perfect hardly at all. That's why the priest sacrificed for his sins before he sacrificed for others. And then you are a priest interceding the priesthood of all believers for others. You need to get your act forgiven so you can forgive others. And we believe in discipline as Presbyterians. Discipline is for restoration. It's not for cutting the cancer out and throwing it down the hill. But if someone's life isn't matched up, we come alongside and say, hey, you need to step down till you get your own stuff together. And then it's for restoring, maybe not to the same place. And that's what Paul is saying. You don't just come running to this table. Some of you are sick and some have died. Did God kill them because they took communion in a flip way? He just put the camera on fast forward, the DVD to fast forward. If the Holy Spirit calls you and you reject him, you and I are dead women and dead men walking anyway. God just puts it on the fast forward. But when we come here and say, I need forgiveness, I need help, I need hope. Lord, I wanna serve you, I, the great exchange, my life for yours. Wow, does he release things at that time. And so as he tells them, so take care of your own needs first and then come here. By the way, there's one thing outside of discipline that Paul tells Timothy, and we'll see next week more than perhaps anything else. The one sin that Paul got him going was not sexual sin, though he thought the Romans and Greeks were crazy. Gossip. Paul put gossip on the level of idolatry. And we in the American church stink at calling people to account about gossip. You know how we gossip in the church? We character assassinate by innuendos. Just, well, 
I don't know about that. You know how pastors gossip? Prayer requests. Yeah, would you pray for that? He's struggling, she's struggling. I'll pray for that way. I told you before, the three pastors together and on a retreat, they're sharing. One says, well, I'm really struggling with the booze. You gotta pray for me. All right. Other guy said, I'm struggling with the money. I'm stealing it from the offering plate. I'll pray for you. Yeah. Third one said, man, I struggle with gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. I tell you that. <laughs> and as we come to this table and we expect me and the people up front to have our acts together, be very, very careful on what you say of the church, this church or other churches. Jesus takes this thing really personal. It's like you're talking about his body. And so we're not, we're to be called to holiness, but we're called to be filled with grace and being able to restore people back. This table is a celebration of God cannot contradict his own nature. He can't contradict himself. God can't lie any more than orange could be purple simultaneously. They're, by definition, they're different wavelengths. God can't lie. It's impossible for him to do that. And he said, you come to me and you confess your sins and I will forgive you. And I will remove them as far as the east is from the west. It's a time to remember, to come back together and serve Christ. It's a time to reflect on where we're at. And it's a time to renew. All of us get knocked down. My goodness, if you haven't been knocked down recently, you're not in the game. Get up. All of us are rowing along and the waves knock us out of the boat into the river. Swim back to the boat and get in it. That's what this is about. Did a... 50th anniversary for somebody a while ago, and it was a celebration. Of course, he's the one that told me that, you know, ask him what's the secret. He said, the secret is anytime I was angry, rather than yelling, I took a walk outside. He said, my life has pretty much been an outdoor existence. He's the one that said that. But. <laughs> well, you get to your 25th anniversary, you don't go, great, that's done, I'm out of here. <laughs> no, you celebrate and renew, and you go, what about the next 25? You don't come to this table and go, ah, great, Christ loved me, forgave me, that's great, I'm, I'm done. It's a time when we say, okay, Lord, all my successes and all my failures, all the fears I got, all the hopes, all the crazy dreams I'm even afraid to admit to myself, all the stuff going on in my life, I put it right here. And I want to take you. I have uh, not been to Pompeii myself. I know many that have there in Italy. When Vesuvius erupted in 70 AD and destroyed this city in a strange way, when Vesuvius blew, the ash came in the makeup of the volcanic rock that fossilized everybody right in their tracks. You know, sacramentum means, doesn't mean sacred. 